0: Welcome. We're glad you're here to join us at Waterstone. Throughout 2020, we have been reading through the Bible, and it has culminated to this moment where we open up the New Testament and see how God enters history in a personal way. It makes it unmistakably clear that He is with us, He is relentlessly on our side, and doing everything possible to rescue us. It's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we learn how to live and be people who love sacrificially seek justice and extend God's mercy. We're excited to dive into this series together and would enjoy it even more if you were able to attend one of our services in person. We invite you to go to waterstonechurch.org to RSVP for a weekend service time on Saturday evening or Sunday morning. It's 2020 and at Waterstone we are preaching through the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation. During this fall, we are encountering Jesus revealed to us in the Gospels. And um, we want to especially welcome those of you who are joining online. Welcome, and welcome to all of you. And as we open our minds and hearts to receive Jesus, Jesus be with you. you. This past week, I've started and stopped no less than six different sermons on the subject of Jesus the teacher. And my intention was to put on display the massive ability of Jesus using words to capture our minds and transform our hearts. But how do you narrow that to one of his sermons or to one of his exchanges with his disciples or his detractors, finally it dawned on me, or more accurately, darked on me in the middle of Wednesday night to experience this power by listening to Jesus and just part of a sermon be applied and speak to one of our current cultural challenges. So, put your helmets on, Fasten your seatbelts. We're going to talk about politics this morning. If you've been around Waterstone, you know, and by the way, you know, if you're a regular tender boy, normally I'm walking this stage, the Holy Spirit and I, we have this thing we try to do where I remember all the things I've studied, but he gives me the words. When you preach about politics, you don't do that you stay pretty close to what you sense the Spirit's given you during the week. So, extra work at listening this morning. I want to be very precise. Deal? If you've been around Waterstone, you know that we have a deep commitment to being a Jesus-centered church on mission with Him and empowered by His Spirit to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God to our neighbor. And this allegiance to Jesus has two significant implications. First, we imagine Christianity, first and foremost, not as a religion, but rather as an interpretation of history. And thus, Christianity is inherently political. Christianity as a politic, and here's what politics means, it's the answers to the very basic questions of existence, such as, how do we live together? How do we deal with offenses? How do we arrange marriage and families and social structures? How do we deal with enemies and violence? How do we have uh, established authority, and how is that authority mediated? How do we deal with money? How do we order our passions and desires? Where is human history going? And what does it mean to be human? And how can human life flourish with peace and justice? Those are the issues of politics. And we believe that Jesus decisively answered those questions when he came among us and said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. The second implication of allegiance to Jesus is that we do not allow ourselves then to be distracted by lesser political agendas than the kingdom of God. You know, people ask me, Larry, is your church more right-wing or your church more left-wing? And you know my answer to that? We're the whole bird. The heaven's dove rested on Jesus at his baptism to proclaim him as the hope of the world. If his claims are true, then captivity has been led captive and death has been overcome. Starting here with the risen Jesus comes our call to be our best and most compelling kingdom people with kingdom conduct in this crazy political time. Jesus, the teacher, conveys the calling to us and captures our imaginations for living in our political time with two words. See if you hear them in Jesus' text this morning. I'd ask that you actually join me in reading this aloud. Please. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The word of our Lord Jesus. Did you sense the two words, salt and light? Before we look directly at the text, I want to begin by naming a few of the concerns of this moment. And hear me, I want to present them clearly and even-handedly, which means that I am going to upset all of you at one particular point in the next few minutes. But I want us to reflect together on our current context and then go to Jesus' calling to be salt and light within our context. I can make you mad with four words. You ready? Politics. The tone of our political discourse is what I'm referencing. When a word acerbic, acerbic is from the Latin, and it means sour or stringent in taste, harsh or severe, as of temper or expression. Politics is scathing, cutting, razor-edged, piercing, biting, caustic, bitter, acrimonious, abrasive, wounding, hurtful, unkind, cruel, vitriolic, venomous, spiteful, vicious, malicious, and my favorite, snarky. Our political context. Now, in that context, some people who have felt marginalized and unrepresented over the past years say, finally, someone gets it and is fighting for me. Others are concerned that this style of leadership undermines democratic institutions and scapegoats any group outside their base instead of seeing them as constituents. Second word, racism. Actually, I'm going to say three more words that will raise the blood pressure in this room. Black Lives Matter. Some hear a media-fueled platform That is not about black lives, as much as it is about a socialist philosophy that desires to overturn authority and social structures. Does America have a racial discrimination in its past? Yes. Are there racist people in America today? Yes. Is racism rampant and extreme? No, they say. For others, it is a deep cry to see what it's actually like to live in this country as a person of color. As a black friend here at Waterstone told me, when I say black lives matter, I don't mean that other lives don't matter. I mean black lives matter too. Third word, election. What's in view during an election season is the past behavior of our leaders. There have been words and conduct by our president that are disturbing to any follower of Christ. For some who believe that leadership begins with character and integrity, enough is enough, as the character of our republic has been deeply eroded. Others choose to look at what he has accomplished. Why should presidential morality take priority over righteous policies and Supreme Court appointments? As a friend put it to me, I'm not voting here for a pastor. I'm voting for a commander-in-chief. How are we doing out there? Have I stepped on everyone's toes so far, because that's the goal here. (laughs) Fourth word, COVID. What is this pandemic? And how should authorities be helping us? Some believe that while the sickness is real, the media has manufactured a state of fear that has led to governmental overreach into our daily lives others believe the government is doing what they can to stop the spread of the virus in order to save lives and we should be cooperative for the sake of the most vulnerable among us. We are living in a crucible moment. And by the way, I I think we could all agree that these seem to come now every four years in our culture. How can we garner more clarity and greater resolve and purer hearts and deeper unity in a time like this Jesus the teacher has given us two compelling metaphors to capture our imaginations first salt you are the salt of the earth. Couple interesting things about the text. First, Jesus reverses the normal word order in the original language. Usually in the Greek language, the verb would come first and then the subject. He reverses it to say you, as in you, you are the salt of the earth. And the other interesting thing is just the scope of his language. Salt of the earth, light of the world, Oh, friends, Jesus has a very high opinion of us. He believes that we are the most compelling, influential force on the planet. It's rather bold of him, don't you think? In the original audience, just a group of ragtag people sitting on the side of a hill, and Jesus has the audacity to say, you are the salt of the earth, (laughs) but here we are, (laughs) here we are. Now salt, think about it. In Jesus' day, salt was mostly known as a preservative. You would rub it into fish to preserve the meat. In our day, salt's mostly known as a flavoring. Makes everything taste better, in my opinion. How many salt people in the room say amen? All right, sugar people? Yeah, no one will admit being a sugar people. I've been finding that out over these, well, last night. How do we live as salt of the earth? As a preservative first, we demonstrate kingdom politics. And what I mean by that is we seek first the kingdom of God. We believe Jesus answers the political questions of our society and life, which is why, listen, Christians are not conservatives or liberals. They are preservatives. As followers of Jesus, we engage the political process. That's the only thing that's out of bounds, right? Salt, if it loses its saltiness, it's no good. It has to engage. I've heard friends and I've been, you know, dialogue with friends who say, you know, the political culture and environment is so toxic, I'm out. I don't think Jesus gives you that option. You got to be out of the salt shaker. You got to be in the meat. You got to be somehow engaging the political process to be a preservative. Now. Because we're preservatives We engage the political process, but the politics of the world do not claim our ultimate allegiance Not a party Not a leader Not a government The fundamental identity of American Christians is not American It is Christian Paul puts it this way for every culture in Philippians 3 when he says, Our citizenship is where? In heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, hear my heart, please. That we are so harshly partisan and divided within the church is not only our failure of Christianity, it's devastating to our witness. The politics of the world must not be allowed to induce hostility among those who practice the politics of Jesus. So, what does salt preservation look like in a political issue? Here's one shake of the salt, the issue of immigration. God reveals himself uh, that's deeply concerned about justice and mercy for people most at risk in any society. Look at Zechariah chapter seven. By the way, I deliberately chose a pretty obscure minor prophet, kind of to illustrate that you find this revelation of God in most every book of the Bible. God is not being subversive here. He's being directly explicit about his heart when he says, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice. Don't, I mean, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. There's a professor of political science at Wheaton in Illinois, uh, whose name is Mark Amstutz. And he notes that in the scholarly debates around immigration policy, there are two competing tensions for a country to flourish, both nationally and internationally. And these tensions he calls communitarianism, and cosmopolitanism. Communitarianism must mean that every country needs to have defined borders and it needs to have uh, uh, specific practices and and policies that make it a unique nation and so that people have a self-identity as a nation. That's true to have a healthy nation, but at the same time, Amstutz says, a nation must also have, especially if they're a larger nation, a continual infusion of culture, a melting pot, if you will, to keep a society and a nation healthy. It needs to have identity, but it also needs to have acceptance and other cultures in play. Now, Amstutz makes the point that that tension of how you do both of those things, communitarianism and cosmopolitanism, That's for nations to figure out. That's where that tension lies. Each national government figures that out. In other words, the job of the local church is not to say how many people should cross the border. The local church's job is to say to the end of history, we Christians seeking God's kingdom first and foremost are not to be concerned with a border, but to be more concerned with our neighbor on either side of the border and with our brother and sister in Christ on either side of the border. Walls and borders are granted provisional importance for governments, not ultimate importance in the kingdom of of God, A church's job is to say, based on texts like Zechariah 7, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will care for the foreigner. You will. Even as we are doing here at Waterstone, with our Colorado hosting asylum network, this afternoon there's a cookout where they're raising money to support a Christian brother named Lee, from Jamaica, who is seeking asylum in the United States and Waterstone is helping to care for his needs, the foreigners' needs, while he's here. By the way, I also think there's room for some Christians here to be more salty in this area and actually sense a vocational calling to go work in a government to help decide how to fix a broken immigration system or there's room for people to start nonprofits and some of us taking as a calling to help with this particular issue in our culture so that's a way that we operate as a preservative seeking god's kingdom first and letting nations and lesser agendas figure out other lesser policies the second way that we live as the salt of the earth, is to be a desirable flavoring within the culture. And the way we do that is by demonstrating Jesus' humility. You know that because politics involves power, it carries the constant temptation toward arrogance and hubris. And part of the kingdom formation in us has to be that when we sense growing in us a judgmental attitude, a superiority complex towards those who disagree with us, what we need to do by instinct as Jesus' followers is stop. Look inside. Humble yourself. And that is a beautiful thing, a flavoring that attracts the world. Have you noticed <laughs> that people can get emotional and unreasonable discussing politics? Have you noticed that news networks and digital media platforms generate ratings and usage with servings of combustible emotion from an us versus them bunker mentality? Much political programming, going to come straight at it, feeds our addiction to outrage. If this is part of your diet, check the fruit. Over time, junk news will lead you to dehumanize people who disagree with you, and you will find yourself with a shrunken soul. You are the salt of the earth. And Jesus the rabbi gives us the second metaphor to capture our political imagination. You are the light of the world. We say it again. Jesus believes his followers are history's most luminous power. Christians are obvious. A city on a hill In the ancient world, it was so dark at night that you could see lights from a village from miles away. And Jesus wants us to note the energy source that they may see your good deeds. That word good in the original language can be translated beautiful, something you experience that leaves you wanting more, like a movie preview. Have you noticed that all of the best scenes of a movie are in the movie preview? Why? To get you to pay money for that ticket to go see that movie. I've got news for you. There is a movie going on. Hear this, the Father is the writer, the Holy Spirit the director, and Jesus the returning hero in a worldwide production. But do you know what? In the meantime, the previews are you and I, and people seeing our humility and our beauty and goodness will be attracted to want to purchase a ticket to see the whole show by how they encounter us as light. So how do we live as lights in the world? In our political context, three things. One, make disciples. That's our mission. Make disciples. University of Virginia sociologist James Davidson Hunter in his book, To Change the World, says that when a society is healthy, many different spheres flourish, art, education, commerce, religion. But when societies fracture, everything begins to revolve around politics. People begin to think that the real way to produce change is to gain political power because the political sphere is the primary way to coercive power. In other words, we can pass laws to make people do what we want. Hear this, the more fragmented a society is, the more people want political power to secure agendas. (laughs) Hear my heart, to our great detriment, the American church has bought in to this political reality. The notion that a church is relevant only to the extent that it deals in human political power is profoundly misguided. That was precisely the temptation offered to Jesus when the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and said, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus, who never set foot on the marbled halls of Rome, the power center. He started a revolution that is still changing the world, but it is not rooted in coercive human power. It is rooted in sacrificial weakness that unleashes the power of a resurrection. Behold this man, Jesus, the long-awaited end of history has come upon us, broken into our very midst. Do you understand that the hope of the world is not a geographically bounded nation state? The hope of a world is not a president or a king or a prime minister. (laughs) Do you actually believe that if you got everything right on your election list, you get your right president, you get your right senator, you get your right state rep, you get your right county commissioners, and it goes all the way up to you get your right dog catcher. Do you actually think that if that will happen, paradise will be ushered in and the human heart will no longer be soiled? Then why in the world... I'm upset. why, Why do we get so upset? Because we give our hearts to lesser agendas. Jesus did not send out his disciples to start governments and pass legislation. They were sent to establish beachheads of his person and his teaching and his lifestyle in the midst of a broken unjust, greedy, and selfish world. And that, listen, that is why, without apology, we are a church that is not in the policy-making business. We are a church in the disciple-making business. The second way to live as light is to pray. Walter Wink wrote that history belongs to the intercessors. Here's the real script behind all politics. First Timothy 2, here's what's going on. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness, and holiness. Now understand that this writing comes shortly before the end of Paul's life. He was most likely killed by the Emperor Nero. Now understand that Paul is commanding people to pray for the political leader who has already imprisoned him and will eventually put him to death. Now, how do you stop a movement like that? Can I come as just one of your leaders and just say, pray? Do we need a big gathering? Well, we can have a big gathering during this time. And by the way, vent a little from I mean, we in years past we have these calls to prayer and these meetings, and 10 people show up. Can we not just say, I've got 37 days till the election, and in every day for the next 37 days, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for Donald Trump. I'm going to pray for Joe Biden. I'm going to pray for Cory Gardner. I'm going to pray for John Hickenlooper. I'm going to pray that God, who turns all the king's hearts as a river, that God's will will be done, and I'm going to rope up to my primary agenda and seek God's kingdom, which will be as in effect on November 4th as it is on November 3rd. Because when you pray, you know what happens? It's a transfer of power. You give up everything and all these choices to God, and you seek first the kingdom of heaven. So transfer power, pray, and then third, we live as light by love, love. Now, I don't mean avoiding conflict. I don't mean some superficial politeness. I mean, courageous, gutsy unity that above all values the body of Christ over you winning your political agendas, lesser political agendas. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4. Here's our calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's light. Whenever and wherever we are in political discussions, Remember that it's Christians together, not apart, that are what Francis Schaefer called the final apologetic. That is, take this with you the world will know that Jesus is the Son of God by how we love one another during the election of 2020. Thinking this week that it would be so easy to pastor a church where everyone voted the same way. (laughs) You know, one of the things I love about Waterstone is we are a purple church. In fact, if you ask me, here's my speculation we're about a third conservative Republican, a third liberal Democratic, and a third. Everything else. I know one person that wrote in Peyton Manning in 2016. We are a purple church. And I own that enthusiastically because purple is the color of royalty, which means for us, Jesus is king. Everything else down here, Jesus is king. It would be nice, though, if everyone voted the same way. But not even Jesus wanted that for his small group. Do you know that he invited a Jew who was a tax collector named Matthew who actually recorded this sermon? He worked for the Roman government. He was a Roman sympathizer. Matthew in the 12. And do you also know that a guy in there named Simon the Zealot? The Zealots were everything against Rome and tried to overthrow Rome. Jesus chooses on purpose people from the completely opposite political spectrum. Why? To demonstrate a unity that will take over the world. And I believe if they can do it, those Galilean fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. We can do it. It begins in us. And let us ask God to continue to do in us and in our church and in the churches around the world as they relate to their governments, what he launched when he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus calls us always to the highest political agenda, the kingdom of God. We're gonna share a song now by video, not to sing, but to reflect. And it's a song that's actually based on the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually gonna be sung from a hillside, like Jesus gave the sermon from the hillside. And I invite you in these next three to four minutes to just reflect, to take a deep breath and rest that even in this crucible that we're in, in this year called 2020, that the most important thing is that Jesus is our shepherd. He's leading our lives now and forever in valley and pasture. Jesus is Lord.